I think the more pain I had was for my teammates. Like, you know the hurt they're going through. And I guess, as captain, you would never have wanted them to feel the way they were feeling. And I think you want to try and make it better. You're listening to the England Rugby Podcast, O2 Inside Line. I'm Sarah Hunter. I play number eight, which is at the back of the scrums. I get to run with the ball, tackle, I get to jump in a line out, I get to lift in a line out, scrummage, so get to do uh, a bit of everything. I think one of the best positions in, in rugby. I think what makes a good number eight is being versatile. You obviously have to have really good core skills and I think you have to want to get your head stuck into all the like rough and hard stuff but also I think that ability to have the softer skills to interlink with the backs you've got to have a really high work rate because you know you're pretty much into everything in in the game you probably have to be able to remain calm because you have the job of controlling the ball at the the back of the scrum and especially when you're five meters out because I can tell you the front row will not forgive you if you mess that up at the back of the scrum after they've done all the hard work. Growing up as a young child, I was really sporty. I have an older brother, James, and we grew up living next door to, to two boys at a similar age. So we'd often be out in the street playing football or cricket, usually getting told off, um, like hitting cars or breaking windows. At primary school, I'd be on most of the sports teams. I just loved being really active. So I was probably a bit of a, a bit of a tomboy as well, but also was probably a bit of a geek. Like I was probably like a goody two shoes at school. I grew up in North Tyneside, which is sort of between Newcastle and the coast, in a place called Benton. I think back then it's when lots of children played out, so you'd be playing on the street. I feel like I had the best of all worlds. I think I had a really great place to, to grow up as a child. My family still all live there. I've got the same family house, so it's really special going back home to, you know, all the memories you had when you grew up. My name's James. I'm uh, Sarah's brother. Growing up with Sarah as, a, as my sister, um, we had a love-hate relationship, as most siblings do. You know, she was super competitive with everything. When we were kids, wanted to win. We had a pretty good relationship and still do. I think Sarah's got to where she has done and, and stayed where she has done. Just determination, obviously ability, hard work and just drive. And just watching her do that for so long, I think it's something which makes me incredibly impressed and proud to see her you know just that commitment to do year after year to be at the top and that desire to stay there and be the best is just hugely impressive quality i think the individual honors she's won the mbes you know, the world player of the year the record caps we're all incredibly proud as a family um each and every one of us i mean my daughter sort of idolizes her auntie to be a role model to see her sort of achieve those things 
when she finally finishes, should be looked back upon as one of the greats, really, across both male and female rugby's. You know, the the things she's achieved as a team collectively and an individual, the duration she's played for, I think it's, it's hugely impressive. I think what makes me proud is just the things she's achieved, which are brilliant, the team accolades, the personal accolades, but the way she handles when things haven't gone the way that she wanted them to and the team wanted them to do, you know, the way she deals with it, the way they, they go on from there and, and move on to the next thing to, to try and carry on being the best and to try and achieve that. None of the success has changed her as a person. She's still a lovely, lovely person who smiles and chats. There's no ego at all. And I think that's probably what I'm most proud about. My first experience in rugby probably came completely out of the blue. No one in my family really played. And my primary school is where I first started playing. And I had a head teacher who got asked if rugby league come in and deliver some sessions to the boys at school. They were trying like an initiative to get more rugby league in the northeast going. And she said, you can come in, but if you're going to come, you've got to deliver to everyone, which includes the girls. And I didn't know this at the time. It's obviously something I've learned since. I just thought, wow, that's pretty powerful. We're talking early 90s as well, so a long time ago. If she hadn't said that, I would never have had the opportunity. And I just remember playing with this funny shaped ball. Again, I hadn't grown up with it. All the sports I did as a child was like netball, football, all around ball, isn't it? And then all of a sudden I've got this funny shaped ball I don't know what to do with. I just remember having the best time running around, probably pretty clueless, but having fun with my classmates and going home and telling my mum and dad that I'd play rugby and really enjoyed it. And back then... They didn't play, oh, well, what are you doing, a girl playing rugby? They really embraced it and were like, oh, that's brilliant, you loved it. And then I guess that's where the, the story starts. I was pretty fortunate that we had sort of eight weeks of our coach, Mick Hogan, come in and deliver to us. And then it was like initiatives going around in different schools and they got invited to take a select team down to Wembley to play before, I think it was Great Britain, Australia. And I was really fortunate to be chosen as one of two girls from my school. We went to London, got on the train, like, as this group, not with our parents. So it was kind of really exciting. Oh, this is brilliant. I'm going to get to go and play at Wembley. I've been playing this sport for eight weeks and now I'm, I'm going on an exciting trip. I just remember the, the excitement of it and, yeah, running out, playing a curtain raiser. And then from there, I just loved it. I'd loved the eight weeks. I'd now had this most amazing experience that I think like most people could only dream of, especially, like, sports people who <laughs> would dream to play at Wembley. And there was me as a nine-year-old kid running around. My name's Mick Colgan, and I was Sarah's first ever rugby coach. Sarah stood out straight away, big smile on her face, always eager to listen, and was just absolutely fantastic at, at uh, both running with the ball and passing the ball, but also her defence as well. It was obvious from a very, very early age that she was going to go on, and if she wanted to, be very successful at rugby. Sarah's qualities as a leader were, were evident from a, from a very early age. She very much led by example, so she would never ask any of the players in the team to do what, what, what she, she wouldn't do. As a leader, she wasn't one to ball and shout at other people. It was that leading by example. Uh, it was a quiet word of encouragement here and there. But it, but it was that sense of enjoyment that was just always there from a very early age with Sarah. 
And I think when you see somebody alongside you in any team enjoying what they're doing so much, it, it, that, that enthusiasm and that, that, that positivity is so infectious. And that's, I think, what you see with Sarah today as well is, is you know, she really does play with a smile on her face. She, she looks like she's enjoying what she's doing. And uh, you'll follow somebody like that into the heat of battle, won't you? She is such a humble person, but such a hard-working person as well and uh, immensely proud of everything she's achieved. There's been an incredible amount of honours, lots of titles, uh, lots of individual accolades, but whenever you see her play, it's, it's obvious that she absolutely loves the game of rugby and I think to play a very, very small part in instilling that love of, uh, of a great sport into such a, a wonderful competitor, uh, yeah, does make me a little bit proud. I think when you compare Sarah against the greats across both men's and women's forms of rugby, she is at the very, very top. The on-field stuff is just remarkable, but it's the way she has conducted herself off the field, to me, that, that makes her a true, true champion. It's a very solid English scrum being controlled at the base there by the captain, Sarah Hunter. And you can see here, Hunter's trying to take it all the way up to the try line. And it is the captain who gets the score. I played mixed rugby league and was the biggest rugby league fan, but you could only play up until 13, like mixed rugby. There was a few girls by then that we thought, well, we'll set up our own team, which was a lot harder than we envisaged. Not many people played it, females anyway. We tried really hard, got some sort of games going, but it just wasn't consistent. And then I was really fortunate that Rugby Union was trying to set up um, more pathways for girls in the, the northeast. So I found out that it was a northeast under 16s team and got asked to go along. So I was like, oh, well, why not? How hard can it be going from rugby league to rugby union? It's rugby, isn't it? And boy, did I learn very quickly that although they have the same name, they are very different. But I couldn't play rugby league and I wanted to play rugby. I, I was fully in love with this sport that I was like, right, I'm going to try everything I can to, to convert over to Union. And it took a little while, but I found my feet. I didn't know there was a women's international team. They never played on TV. And then we went on a trip to watch England women. And I was like, oh, wow, there's an England women's team. And I remember sitting, watching it and thinking that would be really cool if I could play for England one day. And I guess that's where the dream kind of came alive. There was like performance camps that I got selected into. So I was kind of in a pathway, but not a proper pathway. I was just sort of probably being recognised. And I was like, oh, I've been invited to these summer camps down at Loughborough where the best age group players were coming for like one-off sort of training sessions. And then I think it was when I was about 17, I got asked to go to the under-19s trials and I played centre at the time. Because that's what I played in rugby league, so I just transferred straight across to centre. I didn't really know what forwards did. And it was a few weeks before the trials and Phil Forsyth, who was the under-19s coach, pulled me aside after one of these like performance training sessions and just said, like, look, I don't think you should be a centre long term. Like, I think you've got real potential. I think there's something there, but I think you should play back row. And I was like, right, what's a back row? <laughs> and what does they do? Needless to say, I didn't get selected. 
my coach, Graham Cooper, invested so much time into me, taught me how to be a back row player. I went and trained with the men's team to get extra skills and things like that to just push me on. So in a year's time, I'd be ready. The Ballon year went back and lucky enough, I got selected. I was in my last year of sixth form when I got selected, so doing my A-levels before I was going off to university because I knew I would have to have a full-time job. Went into the England A-team, which was like the second sort of senior team, and then got capped at uni when I was um, in my final year. Um, and then that's where my England senior journey kicked off, but it was still amateur. We were professional in everything we did with that mindset, but we just didn't get paid. And professionalism only started in 2019. So I genuinely went through 12 years of my England career, haven't have a job alongside it. And I genuinely didn't think I would ever see professionalism in my career as an England player. And I feel very lucky to have experienced what it was like when you did have to have a full-time job because I genuinely appreciate the position and feel very fortunate the position that I'm in now and that I basically get paid to do my hobby that I've loved for so long. So I went to Loughborough University. I wanted to challenge myself at that next level and I had a sort of a plan of, I want to play for England. How am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to have to play at the top level. So I went to Litchfield that were in the premiership at the time. Also Damien Mooney there like made me captain and I kind of at first didn't really understand why, but like he showed faith in the characteristics he wanted in that captain. So I think that really helped in my leadership skills and captaincy for country later down the line. Sarah Hunter, to me, she's someone that is a player, a coach, and a teammate. I'm Detasha Harper, and I play for Loughborough Lightning and England Rugby. Off the pitch, I'd describe her as cheeky. She's also very goofy, which is fun, because I think sometimes people don't see that fun side of her because she's captain, got to do all the serious stuff. On the pitch, Sarah Hunter is someone that you just go to whenever you're in doubt, because no matter what moment in the game it is, she'll know the right thing to do. And I think that's because she's got so much experience. And I think she's world-class because she does all the basic stuff so well consistently. And I think that's what sets her apart from other people and why she's been able to play for so long. I got called up to be part of the England women's team was like incredible and to stand there and sing the national anthem was just an incredibly proud day and fundamentally will always be one of the most proud and special moments because nothing can come without that day and that's the day the dream like became a reality. I actually got to be captain on a random tour to Canada just as a one-off. I think Katie Daly-McLean was being rested. But I was so, like, sort of taken aback because I genuinely just didn't think it was something I'd ever be asked to do, you know. I was kind of, like, a bit surprised, but obviously it was an incredible honour, you know. To play for your country is one thing, but to captain your country was just like, oh, wow. (laughs) 
leading your country out was like a really special moment. And I think I didn't realise what that potentially would then lead to. So I did a period of time, I think around 2013, when I think Katie was away with the World Cup Sevens team. You start to learn and develop yourself as a leader. You're not, I've obviously done it for a club, but I guess captain your country is such an incredible honour and comes with very different challenges and you've obviously got the best people in the room um, and you've got incredible leaders within that and so I think it was something I was finding my feet on and then I got to be vice captain when Katie came back. I just tried to support her in the best way I could hopefully try and take some of that burden off her and then she went off to play in sevens for GB and then that's where I kind of took over the captain responsibility and it seems like a lifetime ago and um but it's been an absolute honor and a privilege to be able to to do it and something I will never take for granted scrum really well formed it's hunter at the back hunter controlling hunter deft with a feet hunter there it is for the captain I feel in my captaincy journey, I've learned so much about myself, about how to be a captain. I think in the early days, you look to people that have been really good captains. So Katie Daly McLean was an exceptional captain. I had Catherine Spence before that. Sue Day was, was my captain when I got my first cap and she was brilliant. And I think you try to be them because they were really good in my eyes. And I think that was one of the biggest lessons I learned is that actually, no, you've got to be yourself. You've got to be authentic because that's why people will buy into you. That's how people will, will follow you. And I think over time, especially in the last few years, surround yourself with people who will help support you and can delegate to you and who are great leaders themselves. Like I say, we've got the best of the best playing at the Red Roses and you've got so many natural leaders in the group. It's like utilising them. And I think obviously as you get older, you get hopefully become a bit wiser and understand that it's not solely on you to do and giving them ownership on certain things is not a bad thing. And asking for help in certain areas is is okay and I think when I was a kind of a, a young captain I say young maybe not an age but in terms of that role I think maybe you see that as a sign of weakness to want to like ask for people's support or not sure in the best way to do something. Sarah Hunt is a massive role model she's obviously been around for a long time and she definitely knows what she's talking about. I'm Tatiana Hurd. I play for Gloucester Hartbury and England. Sunce is obviously a massive leader. She's also a massive hitter in defence, so you can always count on her to make those hits. You don't want to be running in her channel. There was a, a point in my career where I had an interesting injury, shall we say, one day in the gym, like, I just started to kind of lose grip of really light weights. I'd had a bit of a neck issue before, so I kind of knew the signs weren't great. Obviously, you reported in, but then it kind of got a little bit worse. I couldn't tie my shoelaces. I couldn't open the car with my left hand, like, struggle sometimes using a knife and fork. So it was all related to neck stuff, but 
just couldn't get to the bottom of it. And this was over a prolonged period of time, so it wasn't a few weeks. We're now talking two, three months down the line and still sort of day by day not knowing what's going on, like seeing different specialists, and it was like really bizarre. And I remember having a conversation with our doc being like, well, if we don't see improvements and we don't understand what's going on, then you may have to consider about whether you carry on. And I guess that's really hard to take. And it's quite scary to think that your rugby career can be over in a flash. After that, I guess you have a different perspective on how you look at things generally. Not that I ever, ever took for granted playing for England, but I think you then be like, right, well, it could actually be the last time I play in an England shirt. From that sort of moment, just try to make sure that every time I got to pull on the white shirt, I just cherished it and just went into it enjoying every minute. I guess you look back at those times and they make you resilient. They make you stronger. Getting individual honours is is sometimes really tricky to take. I'm incredibly proud, you know, to have been World Player of the Year, to get the NBA, to get the most cap record. Like, I'll cherish them for forever. But rugby is the ultimate team sport. Without my teammates, without how incredible this Red Rose team has been, without all those players and coaches, I genuinely wouldn't be able to have done what I've done and I'll always be forever grateful and thankful for my teammates around me that have allowed me to do the job that I've done. Losing at Eden Park in 2022, like I had pain of losing it, but I'd already lost two, so I kind of knew what that felt like. I think... I think the more pain I had was for my teammates. Like, you know the hurt they're going through. And I guess, as captain, you want to take that away from them. You would never have wanted them to feel the way they were feeling. And I think, especially in the manner it happened, you want to try and make it better. The little bit of solace I think you can take from it is like the way the team performed in that final. No one can take that away from this group and knowing that no one could have done any more in that 80 minutes that we had. And I think everyone knew that. And I think the way we kind of came together at the end, that for me was the ultimate of being together as one. We shared in that together and we picked each other up put an arm around each other and made sure everyone was all right. And I think in moments like that, that's the only thing you can do. When I got back, I was um and ahhing, do I continue, do I not continue? Your head's all over the place, your body's all over the place. You have a conversation, oh, I'm retiring, I'm not retiring, I'm retiring, not retiring. And I just, I just wasn't ready. And the people I've spoken to about when they're ready to give up, say they know that that's the time. In January, back out, I went to play for Loughborough. And then here we are, three months later, prepping for a a Six Nations. But the cycle will end, and mine will end sooner than some other people's. But I'm, I'm ready for that. I think the people that say, you know, when you're ready, in my head, I know when that time is. And I'm excited by what, potentially could be next. I'm really proud of like what I've done and the journey that I've been on.
what I've seen in my time as a rugby player, whether that's from that nine-year-old or whether I started my dream of wanting to play for England to where I am now, like, I feel very fortunate to have been in the era that I've been in. I'm really excited to see where the, the next generation of Red Roses can go and where the game will go. 